You're going to need your Bible today. Open up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue our series in Galatians. We're going to start on verse 6 this week. So open up your your, uh, phones and your Bibles, whatever. Galatians verse 6, chapter 3. Father, I'm asking that you would just... Come and speak. I want the word to be extremely clear and to go deep into our hearts. And so come this morning. Take control of my tongue. Only things from your heart, let it come out. Open our eyes to what you've put here, what treasures you've put inside of these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so for me personally, whenever I dig into the word, um, I'll open up in the mornings and I'll start reading a section and I'll read until something kind of pops out at me. And when something pops out at me, then I will pay attention to it, and I'll ask questions, and I'll, like, try to research the words. I'll pull up the dictionary sometimes and try to find out all the different meanings of a word. I'll look up the old, um, the Greek meaning of that word and try to find all the different things. And I just kind of write down everything that I'm learning, and I put it all together, and I try to open up. So if there's, like, one sentence... Maybe I try to open it up and I end up with multiple sentences or a paragraph of, of kind of like, I want to get the big picture of what is this saying, the big context. I want to suck every last little ounce out of this scripture so that it hits me where the Lord wants it to hit me, okay? And so that's my personal favorite way to do it, and that's generally how I do it when I go through. Um, the Passion Translation, which is what I'm using, that's uh, in a sense what they did also. So they, they worked hard to translate it to be um, as precise as possible, but also to expand what the scripture said so that it cuts through a little more clearly. And kind of like the Amplified Bible, kind of like the Message Bible, that's what they've done with the Passion Translation. And I really like it because when you hear the same NIV scripture over and over and over, it like dulls your head. But you hear something fresh and new of the same thing, you're like, what? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes, Lord, I need that. And so I've really enjoyed that from the Passion Translation. So today we're only reading from the Passion Translation. Um, The last several weeks, I've been going deep and digging in. And this last week, starting on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would sit down and I would begin to work on the message and I would just hit this wall. And I'm like, man, I would just like stare at the scriptures. I don't know if anybody ever like opens the Bible and tries to go deep and you just like stare. (laughs) You're like, nothing's happening. You're like, I know something should be happening here, but nothing's happening. Man. And I just like sit for half hour, hour, 45 minutes, two hours, whatever, like Nothing. I'm like, gosh, I'll do it tomorrow. And then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and the next day. I'm like, Lord, what is the deal? And I started writing out the message, and it was just brick wall for me this week. And so Friday night, I was getting really frustrated because I was working on it, and I was like, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but Sunday morning is coming, and we're going to preach a message, and we have nothing. What is the deal? And he encouraged me. He said, look, you are... You're trying to go too deep. You, your job is not to be a theologian. You're not, your job is not to find amazing things off of every single word in this scripture. Your job is to clearly proclaim what the Bible says in a way that people understand it. And so Friday night he said, I want you to shut the computer, move the notes aside, trash everything that you worked on, and I just want you to go sit in the car, and I want you to proclaim out loud what the Bible says, and let, let me go with it. I said, okay, let's go. And so that's what I did, and the Lord was so good. And, and Saturday, he said the same thing. That's all, that's all we're doing. So 
No super deep stuff today. I'm just going to proclaim the word, share a couple thoughts as we go. We're going to get to the end of chapter 4. Does that sound all right? You with me? Okay. So we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, Abraham, our father of faith, led the way as our pioneering example. He believed God and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. Say amen. So Abraham, the father of our faith, he led the way as our pioneering example. He was the very first one. Okay, so before Abraham, it was no religion, no, no Bible, nothing. It was just God and Abraham was the very first one, the first pioneer to hear God's voice and to say yes and amen. And what happened? He heard God's voice. God spoke to him. He received what God spoke, and he believed it. Okay? It says, Abraham, our father of faith, led the way as our pioneering example. Our pioneering example of how to hear the voice of God and how to say yes and amen to the voice of God and take a step based on what you hear, even though you have no idea where you're going to end up when you take that step. Abraham was the first one to up and leave everything trying to follow the voice of God when it made no sense whatsoever. I know a lot of you guys in the room have done that many, many times. Probably half the room at least has said, God, this is crazy. You told me, but okay, I'm going to take a step. Abraham was our pioneering example. He believed God, and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. Okay, I love that. I love the word, the substance of his faith. Faith is made of, of stuff. It's made of something. And Abraham found this faith, this trust in God, and the substance of his faith was a key that unlocked God's promises into his life. The substance of his faith became a key that released God's righteousness to him. So God had spoken to Abraham, I want to do this. I want to have a covenant with you. I want to have a promise with you. I want to be with you. I'm going I'm to accredit you as righteous so that we can be together. But it was not fact yet until Abraham applied the substance of his faith as a key to unlock. And when he did, then it was accredited to him as righteousness. Okay? It's like when you accredit something to a bank account. Friday night, we were having dinner, and the kids desperately wanted Dr. Pepper's. And Rachel had told them she was going to give them a dollar if they would rub her back. Good mom. And so she knows how to work the system. So she hadn't given the money yet. But they're like, we really want a Dr. Pepper. And she's like, fine. Okay, you can each pay a dollar for your Dr. Pepper. And so they said yes. So they jump up and they run over. And so she accredited their account. Actually, she accredited her account because she took money from them and she put it into hers. Okay. So when Abraham used his faith as a key, when he was fully persuaded is what some of the Strong's talks about. When he was fully persuaded by what he heard God say, then it was accredited to him as righteous. So he wouldn't have to do anything special. He believed God that he was going to be adopted into his family and that God was going to do all these different things with him so that we could all be one big family with God. Abraham believed it. God accredited to him as righteous. So verse 7, so those who are the true children of Abraham will have the same faith as their father. Verse 8, God's plan all along was to bring this message of salvation to the nations through the revelation of faith. What's the message of salvation? The message of salvation is salvation through faith. 
believing that God is going to cover over your sins so that you can be with God. Not you doing things, but you believing God and him rescuing you. God's plan all along was to bring that message of salvation to the nations through the revelation of faith. So the, in Revelations, it talks about before the earth was slain, I'm sorry, before the, lamb, before the earth was made, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the creation of the world. Jeez, guys, help. Somebody, Jesus died before earth, okay? That's what Revelation says. Ephesians, no, that's Revelation. Ephesians talks about how it was before, that was God's desire. It was his plan that we would be adopted into his family from the very beginning. Amen? All right. Stay with me. So it's God's plan all along to bring salvation, not through works, but through faith, the revelation of faith. And then I love this next section. Over the next several verses, Paul is going to use the Old Testament as a guide and a tool to show all of these Jewish people who have come to Jesus and are saying, we've got to go back to the law. He's going to begin to pull out Old Testament scriptures to show them it was Jesus and faith all along. It never had anything to do with fulfilling the law. Okay? So in verse 8, continue. It says, Long ago, God promised, prophesied over Abraham as the Holy Scriptures say, Through your example of faith, all the nations will be blessed. Through your example of faith, all the nations will be blessed. That's from Genesis 12 and 18 and 22. Through your example of faith, all the nations will be blessed. Verse 9. And so the blessing of Abraham's faith is now our blessing too. Say Hallelujah. The blessing of Abraham's faith is now your blessing too. All of the blessings that Abraham received because of his pioneering faith, believing God, all those blessings are now yours as well. Primarily that you get to be with God. That you get to be in his family, adopted as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Right now we are in Christ. Christ is in us. Right now we are in the heavenly places, seated beside him, next to God in the throne room. That's amazing. And not only that, but the blessings of being in the family of God and everything that comes with that. The blessings of being a child of the king in the kingdom. All of those blessings, all of that authority, all that comes with that realm because of Abraham, because of his faith. Because of what Jesus did, now we're in that same family. You get all of those blessings too. Amen? And so the blessing of Abraham's faith is now our blessing too, verse 10. He says, but if you choose to live in bondage under the legalistic rule of religion, you live under the law's curse. For it is clearly written, utterly cursed is everyone who fails to practice every detail and requirement that is written in the law. This is from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Again, Paul pulls out this Old Testament thing. He says, look, it's all your blessings, but if you want to go live under the law, if you would prefer to go live in the other way, that's fine, but you're choosing to walk under a curse. Because the Bible clearly says, from long ago, utterly cursed is everyone who doesn't fulfill every tiny little requirement of the law. It's, it's a pass-fail. You're either going to fulfill all of it 100% or you're going to fulfill none of it. You can't do 9 of 10. You can't do 99 of 100 or more than that. Can't do it, okay? Either you fulfill it or you don't. It's what the Bible says. Verse 11. 
For the scriptures reveal, and it's obvious, that no one achieves the righteousness of God by attempting to keep the law. Say, that's right. For it is written, those who have been made holy will live by faith. So good. Habakkuk 2.4 is where that comes from. So God, in the Old Testament, told the people, the only way to be holy is through faith. You cannot fulfill the law. It will never, ever, ever happen. The only way to be right with God, to be considered before him in right standing, is through faith. Verse 12. But keeping the law does not require faith, but self-effort. For the law teaches if you practice the principles of the law, you must follow all of them. Verse 13. Yet Messiah, our anointed substitute paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. Okay? Last week we talked about how Jesus ransomed us. We swapped out what we deserved. Jesus took upon himself. The anointed substitute paid the full price to set us free from the curse. He absorbed it completely. And I love the word absorbed it completely because do you remember when we talked about um, destined to reign? We talked about that section where Joseph Prince was explaining that at the Garden of Eden, when man sinned, God then sent an angel to block the way to the Garden of Eden, specifically to block the way to the tree of life. And there was an angel standing with a flaming sword of fire. And anybody who tried to get by it would receive the full judgment, the full wrath of sin. But Jesus, on the cross, absorbed the full wrath of God. That flaming sword that the angel was standing there at the garden, stopping the way of the tree of life, Jesus absorbed all of that judgment inside of his body on the cross. And therefore, by taking the punishment for us, absorbing the punishment for us, the cross then became the pathway to the tree of life once again. You remember that? I think it's so profound. And so he says it here in verse 13. Our anointed substitute paid the full price for us to free us from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. For it's written, everyone who's hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. Verse 14, Jesus our Messiah was hung upon a tree, bearing the curse in our place, and in so doing dissolved it from our lives. So that, time out. Every time I read so that, I get excited. Like, oh, something very important. There is a reason. All this happened so that. So it says, Jesus, our Messiah, was hung upon a tree, bearing the curse in our place, and in so doing, dissolving the curse from our lives, so that. What comes next? You ready? So that all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out upon even non-Jewish believers. Amen? Jesus did everything he did so that you could personally receive all the blessings of Abraham. And not just you, but everybody in the whole world. Because God's heart is that none should perish. And now God shows grace to all of us and gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe in him. Verse 15, beloved friends, let me use an illustration that we can all understand. Technically, when a contract is signed, it can't be changed after it's been put into effect. It's too late to alter the agreement, okay? So in real estate, 
if you are writing a contract, you put all the terms out there, you have somebody else, you agree, you go back and forth, you get all the terms settled down on the paper, and then everybody signs, and when that last signature happens, bam, that's an official contract. That is a legally binding contract. You cannot go back and scratch out sections you don't like. It's official. It's a done deal. You can later go add addendums if you want, but you can't change that original document. It's a done deal. So Paul says, that's how it works. So remember verse 16, the royal proclamation, God spoke over Abraham and to Abraham's child. God, did, God said that his promises were made to pass on to Abraham's child, not children. Some of your Bibles might say seed. Anybody say seed? Okay. But notice it says seed, not seeds. Okay, so it's singular. So Paul says, God said that his promises were made to pass on to Abraham's child, not children. And who is this child? It is the son of promise, Jesus, the Messiah. This means that the covenant between God and Abraham, the contract between God and Abraham was fulfilled in the Messiah. It cannot be altered. Yet the written law was not even given to Moses until 430 years later after God had signed his contract with Abraham. The law then doesn't supersede the promise since the royal proclamation was given before the law. Okay? So he's trying to, to wake the Jews up and say, guys, I know that's like your thing and you love the law and you, you live by it and it's like all about how to be right with God. But do you realize 430 years before that thing ever even existed, it was all about relationship and righteousness through the gift of faith, God's covenant with Abraham. That's what God cares about. It was never about fulfillment of the law. He says, because we are united with the anointed one, all the promises of the kingdom are deeded to us. Not because we keep the law or fulfill the religious duties. Amen. Can we say that all together? Can we stand up together and say this all together? Please. Stand up. Say, because we are united with the anointed one, all the promises of the kingdom are deeded to us. Not because we keep the law or fulfill religious duties. Hallelujah. Sit down. If that were the case, it would have nullified what God said to Abraham. We receive all the promises because of the promised one, not because we keep the law. Ah, amen. Purely by faith. Verse 19, Paul says, so why then was the law given? It was an intermediary agreement added after the promise was given to show men. Okay? Again, why was it given? It was an intermediary agreement added after the promise for the purpose of showing men how guilty they are. Layman's terms. The law was given to show you you're bad. Okay? You are hopeless. You cannot fulfill all of the law. He continues, it remained in force until the joyous expectation was born to fulfill the promises given to Abraham. 
And here's another contrast. When God gave the law, he didn't give it to them directly, for he gave it first to the angels, and they gave it to his mediator, who then gave it to the people. So he's saying when the law was given, God gave it to the angels. The angels gave it to Moses. Moses then gave it to the people. But when God entered into covenant with Abraham, there was no middleman, no go-between. He gave it directly and fulfilled it all by himself. Ah. So God gave Abraham directly, face-to-face, in person. God said, this is my promise to you. This is my covenant to you. This is my contract with you. And not only that, you, you don't have to do anything. I will fulfill it all on my own. All you have to do is believe what I say, and that itself will unlock the promises that I'm giving to you. Verse 21. Since that's true, should we consider the written law to be contrary to the, perp- to the promise of new life? How absurd. Truly, if there was a law that we could keep which would give us new life, then our salvation would have come by law-keeping. But the scriptures make it clear that since we are all under the power of sin, we needed Jesus And he is the Savior who brings the kingdom realm to those who believe. Amen. Verse 23. So until the revelation of faith for salvation was released, the law was a jailer, holding us as prisoners under lock and key until the faith which was destined to be revealed would set us free. So he says the law was given for the purpose of of being like a babysitter to us. And even in more strict terms, being like a jailer, a prison guard, to to keep you in check. And primarily to show you you're hopeless. You cannot do it. (laughs) You try and you fail. And you try and you fail and you try and you fail. And check this out. Let's continue. Verse 24. The law and our failure to keep it becomes a gateway to lead us to the Messiah so that we would be saved by faith. Okay, how cool is that? So... God gives the law for the purpose of us falling flat on our face, realizing we can never do it, we can't do it, we're desperate, we are hopeless, we can't do it. And the purpose of that process takes you to the end of yourself where you feel like, oh my gosh, I can never be right with God, I have to have a Savior. And you get to the end of yourself, the end of your pride, you're humbled yourself, and then you look up and you see Jesus and you say, yes, please, come save me, get me out of here. That was the purpose. That was the reason. So that people would accept Jesus. Because without the law, we would have been too prideful. Oh, God, I'm a good person. I can do it without my, I I don't need you. No, no, I'll see you there. I'm fine. I live a good life. I'm totally fine. No, God wanted us to humble ourselves so that we would be humble enough to reach up and accept the gift of righteousness given through Jesus. Verse 25, but when faith comes into our hearts and we have come to the Messiah, the law is no longer in force since we have already entered into life. 26, you have all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus, the anointed one. And I love that again because we talked about this last week about the two different types of faith and how some scriptures say it's by Jesus' faith and some scriptures kind of communicate that it's by your faith in Jesus. And either way, you're great. But I love this one better. By Jesus' faith. What, 
by him believing what God said and him agreeing that God loves us so much that he really, really, really wants to be with us, Jesus agreed and he was willing to lay down his life for you. Jesus' faith in the word of God rescued all of us. So good. You've all become true children of God by the faith of Jesus, the anointed one. And it was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. I love that. You are covered and clothed with his anointing. Just close your eyes and just let that soak in. You are true children of God. You're not fake children of God. You are the real children of God. You're not foster kids. You are the true children of God. And you are currently covered and clothed in Jesus' anointing. You are the true children of God. And you are covered and clothed with royal garbs, royal clothes, the most gorgeous clothes. You are covered with them with royal anointing, with the anointing of Jesus Christ. The same anointing he carried when he walked the earth. You are now covered and clothed with that anointing. And what is the key to unlock that anointing in your life? It's the the key that Abraham used. That faith that Abraham had. He applied his faith and the substance of his faith unlocked the blessings of the God's promises to you. God's promise to you is that you are covered and clothed in Jesus' anointing. And the way to unlock it more is believing what God tells you. Okay, verse 28. And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ with no distinction between us. Everybody say, no distinction between us. Amen. And I personally love this verse so much because in recent years there's so much flack, especially coming against like, I think it's gone in cycles over the years. But the last many years it's been women. Oh, women, they can't do this, they can't do that, they can't do this in the church, whatever. No, did you read what the Bible says? The Bible says you are united with Christ. We are now all one. I am rich and I am poor and I am male and I am female. Because I am one in my union with Jesus Christ. The only thing, when heaven looks at me, they see child of God. Anointed, mighty child of God. Amen? There's no distinction between us in verse 29. And since you've been united to Jesus the Messiah, you are now Abraham's child and inherit all the promises of the kingdom realm. Ah, amen. Since you've been united to Jesus, since you're in Jesus, Jesus is in you. You are seated on his throne next to God. You are in the kingdom. You are the real child of God, covered and clothed with his anointing. You are now Abraham's child, and because you're his child, you have inherited all the promises of the kingdom realm. Amen, and amen, and amen. 
And not because we do anything, but only because we believe what God spoke to us and we receive the gift of righteousness. Amen? Amen. That's the end of chapter 3. Let's stand up together. I want to pray. And then if we can, can we pray for you, Katie?